Welcome back to Martins and More. My name's Maury Rutsch. And I'm Spoon Phillips. And we have a lot of things to talk about today. How you doing, Spoon? I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm just at the very end of my first spring head cold. But it's, uh, it's actually the very first cold I've had since 2019. Uh, in terms of, you know, the classic, classics, you probably, some people can probably hear it, I'm a little stuffed up, but um, I have to say, I, uh, it was a pretty long stretch of staying cold free, so I guess I was due. How about you? Well, Stuffy Phillips, I'm feeling much better than you sound. I've actually <laughs> skated right through the, the cold and flu season with uh, knock on wood. Here comes the giant jinx. I'm actually feeling pretty good. I was outside in the beautiful weather today, and the sooner we get this list out of our system, I think we can both get outside in the sunshine. If anybody listening out there wonder what the weather's like today, wait to see how short this episode is. <laughs> actually, it's a very interesting, important episode. I think I was, I was very excited when uh, Maury wrote me and saying, "Why don't we do a, a, uh, a special." episode inspired by certain comments and questions from some of our listeners. And and I actually just sent uh, Mari a, a list of some uh, items as well that I have picked up from my own website, One Man's Guitar, which everybody knows is onemans.com. With a Z. With a Z, One Man's with a Z, which uh, uh, some things that some of my own readers have written to me about. And if you feel something is a little bit off on this episode, it's probably because we're on the Dick Boke Hangover. We just came back from our last episode, which was over-the-top fun. You guys got to go check that episode out if you haven't seen it yet. Dick Boke invited us both to his private home, his private workshop, to play his private guitar collection. Not guitars that he bought, but guitars that he built. And I don't know if we can really compare that to this because it's just the two of us there's very little guitar interaction but i just got to tell you on record spoon that was so much fun and we got to get back there uh, sooner than later to hang out with our friend dick boke absolutely it was a wonderful time and he is an absolute uh, not just a living legend but he is a living uh, encyclopedia and resource of so much martin history and uh, he you know, was very good friends with C.F. Martin III, uh, who he met when uh, C.F. was in his 80s. And uh, C.F. imparted a lot of knowledge uh, that had come from his grandfather and his father before him. And um, so we're going back to the literally the 1800s, that Dick was one degree of separation from the Martins, Mr. Martins in the 1800s, which is fascinating. And, and is really good at dispelling, you know, a lot of myths that have built up about Martin guitars over the years. And which ties right into this program of, uh, that we consider a Mythbuster episode. That's right. Who are you going to call? Let's go to the phone lines. And by that, I mean, let's go to the YouTube and the Twitter and the inbox of the emails. We had some of our friends actually tell us what they think a good myth would be to talk about. The first one that's staring me down the barrel our friend Phil says, let's talk about the myth that rosewood is better than mahogany. Just kidding. How about heavy gloss versus satin or open pore finishes affecting the sound and resonance? How can you know when the wood quality is different from guitar model to guitar model? So I'll start first by saying anyone who thinks that the fact rosewood's better than mahogany is a myth can just get right out of here right now. Stop <laughs> listening. Unsubscribe. Take us off your phone. Of course, I'm kidding. 
You guys know all about the uh, tongue-in-cheek Rosa versus Mahogany that I probably instigate too much. But Phil brings up some good points. And I'll defer the first one to you, Spoon. I'll let you go first, and then I'll, I'll rebut whatever you say. What do you think about gloss versus satin? And that kind of question from Phil, where how do you know when the wood quality is different from guitar to guitar? Well, it sounds like you came up with like four different myths to possibly bust. So I'm going to begin actually by just pointing out, as we've said before, that rosewood being better than mahogany or um, is a, you know, of course, a matter of per personal preference. And I was very much a mahoganyite for a great deal of my life and actually liked uh, mahogany more than rosewood. And then I got seduced by the dark side of that lusher, more complex harmonic uh, array that you get out of rosewood and 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 similar woods like uh, Macassar Ebony, uh, Macassar Ebony, and so forth. But but every time I play rosewood for a long time and I go to mahogany, it seems wimpy, it seems bright, and not a lot there, just kind of dry and bright. But then I stop, my ears stop looking for what isn't there, and I start hearing what is there. And then I come to really love mahogany, and when I go back to rosewood, rosewood seems too thick and muddy and overly complex and and uh, almost to the point of being distracting until i readjust so i keep i put kind of polarize between those two woods so so that's one myth thrown out is of course it's all a matter of opinion um though i do prefer those two uh types of wood over all the other kinds of tone woods except for spruce so i have to shout out to dick again and he showed us these guitars he's making completely out of spruce and they sound wonderful, unique, yeah. but pl plenty of bass response, much greater bass response than, than I originally expected. And I'll probably bring some of that up and some of the other myths we're going to be busting. Well, now we're going to go to the, uh, we talked about a couple of different things you mentioned. Uh, you mentioned satin uh, versus gloss, and you mentioned, uh, I know he mentioned pore filler, and he mentioned, uh, you know, a wood quality. So I will we'll just start with, uh, why don't we do, we'll separate those three. So let's start with, with gloss versus satin. I guess the myth is that one's better than the other. Uh, if anybody has played uh, the very high-end, wonderful guitars by George Loudon and Son uh, from Northern Ireland, they are satin finished guitars and they are wonderful. And there are other major builders out there that build with satin finishes. Um, they're definitely not the same. And even inside Martin, they're not the same when it comes to these new standard series satin models. This is not the same nitrous cellulose lacquer that's used on the high gloss. It is a catalyzed lacquer. It's still a true lacquer, but it's not exactly the same. And it's also put on uh, uh, with a uh, with less thick thickness because it doesn't require as much buffing as you uh, need with the nitro, and so it's uh, it looks a lot like Martin's vintage gloss, but it is not the same thing. And satin finishes definitely make a guitar sound differently, um, but as I think we've proven in the in the videos that we made uh, of the new satin models against the uh, traditional nitrocellulose high gloss finish, uh, the D18 and the D18 satin have more in common with their sound than 
differences. So um, I don't think people are being shortchanged by spending less money to get the satin model, um, but it's definitely not exactly the same. I think they have a more open, airy quality. You can feel the vibrating uh, body in a way you don't from that uh, thicker uh, nitro finish that seems to hold the body in place more. I think that just makes the wood uh, reflect sound waves differently. But you're still talking about, uh, you know, everything else about them is identical, really good quality. So what is your take on satin versus gloss, Moy? This topic is timed perfectly. Thank you, Phil. We really recently got to try the satin versus the gloss, like Spoon mentioned. And if you would have asked this question 10 months ago, not that we wouldn't know the answers, but it's really great to have this fresh in my mind anyway. I really feel like satin lets the guitar breathe, and it certainly does have some kind of a, a characteristic where the mid-range especially, maybe even the, the upper mid-range, there's something a little more vibrant about how the guitar's decay happens. And if you strum a full-gloss Martin, it's not fair to say that you're putting a blanket over it and it's a negative thing, but conversely, I'll be really honest, when I play a D18 right before I play a D18 satin, there is something more open is going to be a cliche word. It's not necessarily louder, but there's a projection that's maybe a little bit less compressed in a satin finished guitar. Not so much that it bears, you know, spending another 20 minutes talking about it, but the truth uh, that is not a myth, I really do hear a difference. So if we can kind of take, you know, Phil's tongue-in-cheek comment about rosewood mahogany, and he made a quick comment about speak, on the differences from gloss and satin. I'm not even sure Phil is trying to say that there's a myth here, but if anybody thinks that satin and gloss sound exactly the same, I would say that's definitely not true. I hear a difference. I'm really anxious to play more and more of these. You're listening to somebody speak on a podcast who's played millions of D18s in the full gloss treatment. I've only played three, uh, three different times, a D18 with the satin finish. So I, I have a lot of catching up to do, but first impressions are they do certainly sound different. Yes, and I think when they sound differently, again, just like Rosewood Mahogany, it is not uh, necessarily mean one's better than the other. And there will definitely be people who prefer one over the other. I think it's a marvelous idea because I think there's a lot of non-Martin people out there that have been playing other brands that think about getting a Martin but their ears have just been conditioned or uh, tuned toward certain kinds of sounds. And uh, Martin just doesn't provide them that sound. Well, this is another option for them to feel like they're getting a real Martin from the standard series with the full dovetail neck joint and the whole bit. And, um, but actually has a, that more, uh, less like you said, compressing is a very good word for it. L there's less compression in that voice. It's not as a thick and solid a voice, which many Martin lovers love that thick, solid uh, robustness of the traditional Martin voice. So that's great. I think it's, uh, you know, time will tell how popular they are. But uh, so it is it's definitely a myth that they sound exactly alike. And, um, and uh, it's a myth to say that full gloss is definitely superior tone-wise. Tone well, just as I was about to call you Sneezy Phillips, I'm going to call you Segway Phillips, because one of the other topics on this list has everything to do with the dovetail neck joint. Our friend Andorra's Revenge says, how about more info on the sonic properties of the dovetail joint? And I would love to know who did what to Andorra if his name is Andorra's Revenge. Look out. I want to know more about that. 
But I want to know if he's referring to Andorra, the uh, grumpy mother-in-law from Bewitched that I grew up watching as a kid. <laughs> perhaps, wow. uh, perhaps there's also a country called Andorra, so maybe that's what it is. But um, back on topic, uh, we probably should have said this at the very beginning, that these are, of course, our personal opinions. And I'm very opinionated when it comes to the dovetail neck joint. And um, much more so when it come, came to the mortis and tendon neck joint that Martin came out with in the 1990s um, and, uh, and actually told their sales force and their district sales managers that you have to say that there's no difference in tone whatsoever. And that, I mean, it just simply wasn't so. Uh, there's, all, you know, there's always going to be a difference as Stephen Stills famously said, you know, a guitar is a box that rattles and every single thing you put on it or do to it uh, affects how that rattles. So, um, but now Martin has the simple dovetail neck joint, which is a very good name for it. And it's, uh, it's smaller, it's uh, less complicated, it requires less uh, um, precision from the human uh, dealing with the uh, putting it together and all that sort of thing. Though nowadays, Martin has, you know, they've perfected uh, the laser cutting or however the robots cut the woods now that the, the full-size dovetail and this simple dovetail are actually created in, in uh, similar ways now. But what you're basically talking about, um, first of all, a mortise and tendon, uh, a dovetail is a mortise and tendon. Uh, the mortise and the tendon are the two pieces of the joints, basically the male-female uh, aspect of the joints. So a dovetail, but the traditional dovetail, is a wide uh, V that's shaped, of course, like the tail of a dove. And uh, you'll see it in, in furniture making and you know any kind of woodworking, you'll often see different kinds of dovetail joinery. The, the good thing about the traditional dovetail neck joint at Martin and other companies that use it, like Santa Cruz and Gibson, is that you have a lot of mass from the neck in the joint. So vibration from the neck is getting into the neck block and vibrating the neck block, which then transfers more energy from the neck into the uh, tonewood body that is that is uh, generating the sound waves that um, you know that take the that take the sound waves from the string vibration and turn it into a tone and the tone that we hear. Um, the mortise and tendon neck joint, which is still used in Mexico on the on the X series and and uh, road series, I believe. Um, uh, traditionally, in the old days, had a plywood neck joint. So that was another part of it as well. The traditional dovetail neck joint had a solid mahogany neck block. The M&T joint didn't. And there was definitely a difference. It was a... It, I, I, people would say of the, on the positive side that the Morrison Tenon neck joint uh, was good for acoustic electric guitars because it had less of that wavering uh, undertone and that the sustained tone of the Martin, it didn't waver as much. And so it was more feedback resistant. Other people would say that they sounded brighter and more vibrant. And there was no coincidence that 
fans of Taylor guitars, when they would go to buy a Martin, would often buy a Martin from the 16 series back when they had M&T neck joints because it had a similar tonal property where you hear the fundamental notes clearly and they stand up and are kind of separated from what I call the, the body resonance, where the traditional dovetail sound that you hear from Santa Cruz and traditional Martins, that body resonance swells up into that, those fundamental voice, that fundamental notes, and you get, get that wavering, which some people don't like, and they want the Collings and, and uh, Olsen sound of the very pure notes that stay very pure and very in their lanes. And there's much to be said about that sound. Martins and Santa Cruz guitars, Gibsons don't do that. The sound kind of wavers around. And as far as I'm concerned, it is because of the dovetail neck joint. So that's my rant about the dovetail neck joint. The downsides of the dovetail neck joint is they're not adjustable. It requires a, a good deal of work when the neck and eventually the spring tension will put the neck out and you do end up having to pay money where a tailor uh, you can you know very learn very quickly how to probably reset your own neck in a dressing room if you have to as Leo Kaki does regularly <laughs> so that's a, you know there's negative sides in terms of the practicality of it but um, so you bust my myth Mari I just defended the uh, the claim the legend that the dovetail neck joint you know, has a particular sound and is definitely a part of the traditional Martin tone. I just want to also point out, I may have said Mortison tendon because I have a tendency to do that. And I think uh, my stuffed up my stuffed up nose is kind of making me turn the tenon into tendon, but ah. uh, Mortison tendon uh, neck joint. Well, I, you probably know I do have Mortison tendonitis sometimes if I play guitar too much, but stupid jokes aside, I can't really debunk what you said, but I will tell you that there are a lot of times I've seen people talk on forums and times I've talked with top people at Martin Guitar and our friend John Hall at Blues Creek Guitars and some other builders or, you know, maybe hobbyists that, are, that know enough about building. It's very rare that I've come across two guitars made by Martin where deliberately the only thing different was the neck joint. So I don't know if there are really good examples out there besides in R&D where you could play a 1990s, you know, D16, one made with dovetail, one made with the M&T or, see, I'm going to call it M&T and be careful. I, I don't really know that I've had the opportunity to say there's the only differences there. And you could correct me if I'm wrong, some of those 16 series guitars, the bracing that they put on an M&T guitar wasn't exactly the same as the X bracing that would go on a similar build. Maybe if we compare a D16 GT from back in the day to a D18, I don't know that you could really say these sound different and the only thing that's variable is the neck joint, but it doesn't mean I disagree with you. I think there's certainly a reason Martin graduated from M&T to simple dovetail. If M&T was great, and there wasn't any sonic difference. I, I think that spells out that they needed to get better than M&T. And the fact that the simple dovetail is a graduation from that, working backwards, it tells me they weren't thrilled about M&T to leave it well enough alone. So I won't debunk you, but I wanted to throw that in there too. Yeah, I think that's important. It's funny you bring up the D16 because their first D16s were full dovetail neck joints and had forward shift just got up bracing. And then uh, some pencil pusher you know, brought in the M&T as a way, it was brought in entirely as to maximize profits. And it, uh, and it did maximize profits, but the very first D16s that were made right 
at the right at the change and triple O sixteens are as close as you're going to get to what you're talking about. However, the M and T required the A-frame braces, those two slanted braces, V-shaped bracing that come from the off of the X brace up under the neck joint to help hold the neck joint in place. And it has a bolt in there as well. And people would say, well, the bolt's just there until the glue's dry, but they didn't remove the bolt. Um, but it's not a true bolt on the neck in the sense that it still had a mortise and tenon. Uh, by the way, uh, the mortise and tenon X had been around before Martin. Uh, Michael Gurian was, is credited, I think, with developing the first modern mortise and tenon system. Uh, his guitars were very popular. Uh, Jackson Brown uh, was his main guitar that you see him playing in his early part of his career. Um, they have kind of a rounder, almost classical guitar sort of shape to them. And, you know, and, the, and they usually had sort of elaborate uh, rosettes. So, you know, I mean, they're definitely, you can definitely get great guitars out of all kinds of, uh, you know, non-dovetail configurations. Uh, just look at all the, you know, Huss and Dalton, Collings. Collings kind of has a dovetail and, you know, the bolts and the steel rods in the neck and all that. And um, Jim Olson, you know, lots and lots and lots of builders. The Dick Boat cars we just played were M&T neck joints. And, uh, and though I think he's moving away from that. Uh, actually, but um, with some of his future guitars, I think he's going to get away from that. And they sounded wonderful. So um, I'll just end by saying, like you said, with you only played three satins, it is possible to play lots and lots and lots of Martins with dovetails and Martins without with simple dovetails and start to hear the similarities. Simple dovetail, I do not say is signs identical to the full dovetail. You don't have as much mass in the, there's not as much energy transference from the neck to the neck joint. Um, but it's much closer than than the sound of the M&T. Frankly, I think the M&T, you don't get the pure, what I call the violin purity in the trebles. It had a, a uh, harsher, uh, I'm trying not to use negative words, but somebody, uh, it wasn't raspy, but somebody had used a word that I thought really nailed it down that wasn't a negative sounding word. But um, I should also point out that Martin, nowadays, they got rid of the, uh, they, at some point, they also did get rid of the plywood neck joint, and they started going with a solid SIPO neck joint. So I think even the Road Series have a solid wood, uh, um, neck block rather. I think the block now is made out of solid, uh, some form, form of solid mahogany now, and they've done away with that that uh, inferior plywood uh, neck block. So yeah, so again, my opinion, I know what I hear. I definitely played an enormous amount of guitars uh, focusing and would play them for people in, in guitar stores and ask them without telling them why I was asking them to describe the difference between the guitars and stuff. And, and I think you play enough dovetails and enough non-dovetails, whether it's Baldwin necks, M&T necks, um, you start to hear the similarities between dovetail neck joints and bulldog neck uh, giant joint guitars, no matter who's making them. We're going to shoehorn that into a question. So Andorra's Revenge, the way he phrased it, more info on the sonic properties of the dovetail neck joint. We're going to change that to myth, dovetail neck joint sounds better. And I'm going to say not busted. <laughs> next question. <laughs> Rosalind, our friend Rosalind says, I'd like to think there's a mojo in each guitar, the tree from which it was made, the people who made it, people who played it, 
and now mine to take care of and play until it's passed on to the next person. It's probably a mythical thought, but it's comforting, except for that one guitar that was very judgmental of my playing in the beginning, but which made me practice more. So you want judgmental. You came to the right podcast. We're judging you right <laughs> off the bat, Rosalind. Um, it's a pretty good question, and I'll tell you that um, I'm glad to talk about it. It's funny. We talked to Mike Dickinson, I don't know, maybe seven or eight podcasts ago, and he made a good point about wood selection, and he's the guy that buys the wood for Martin. The tree that it comes from and the actual piece of wood, I can almost speak for Spoon, the tree it comes from, the piece of wood, that certainly got to make a difference. I wouldn't say that's a myth. That's certainly a truth to me. Is there mojo in each guitar? Uh, my bass player always made the joke where he didn't like to watch that program, how it's made. He watched the program, how it's made on a Friday. And you can kind of you know, <laughs> assume that there are some things that happen at Martin Guitar on Tuesday or Wednesday, but if you get the wrong guy after going to see his favorite band on Thursday night, comes in Friday, just doing the bare minimum, get me out of here, I don't want to be at work. Maybe that guitar has less glue in it. I don't know. There, that's Of course, it's a joke, but I would have to think the way that Martin's building guitars, there has to be some kind of a difference, even though they would probably never admit it. That one guitar, serial number 20, is going to be built a certain way. I can't believe that serial number 19 and 21 are exactly the same guitar as far as the, the care that went into it. I mean, it has to be some kind of human variability. So I'm going to buy into your idea that there is mojo in each guitar for the people who made it. Now, when you say the people who played it, no doubt about that for me either. If you give me your guitar for a year, you're going to get it back with X amount of vibrations that it had happened the way I play my guitars. You give it to somebody much more careful, I would like to think they're going to sound different afterwards. And the fact that you're going to be the caretaker of a guitar until you pass it on, I like your question from top to bottom. And I'm really curious to see what Spoon thinks about these coins. Well, I'm going to take this topic and start at the back and move forward. I will say that when you buy a brand new guitar, that absolutely you are going to be teaching that guitar how to play your music. And it's going to react whether you're a soft, if you're just a soft finger stylist who barely, you just use your fingertips and that's all you ever do. And uh, three years from now, that guitar is going to blossom into a particular guitar. If that exact same guitar had gone home with somebody who only played with thick picks and big, giant, hard, robust strumming, three years from now, that guitar is going to sound very different. And I know people who love that about buying a new guitar. I know people who don't want to buy a used guitar because they don't want somebody else's DNA, sonic DNA in there. But I think other people will love the fact that Rosalind has loved that guitar and had taught it to play her music and it grew to respond to her music and now they get to uh, the benefit of that and get to also add in their own panache and their own mojo, if you will. Um, when it comes to wood, when it comes to that tree, that piece of wood, um, all that, I'll say two things. One, it may sound contradictory. One is, I believe that Martin guitars now, uh, particularly in the standard series, the professional level guitars, 16 series, standard series on up, they are more consistent guitar to guitar within a given model than probably any time in their history. They are, they're, the quality control and the way they uh, the way they create them now. I think you're buying a D28 or an HD28 in Miami 
or or Seattle or St. Petersburg, Russia, you are getting uh, much more the same guitar that you were hoping to get. And, um, and yes, of course, every piece of spruce is a little different, but everybody should remember that the lowest grade woods at Mark Guitar are still much higher quality than most of the guitars. At, I mean, I mean a majority of the guitars in the guitar market around the world. And not only that, Martin has been at Seasoning Wood for a very long time in terms of how they uh, take the wood, how they mill the wood, how they uh, kiln the wood when it's necessary, how they put in the acclimation room and, you know, and how they aerate it and all that stuff. So um, in some respects, there's mojo in a Martin guitar. If, those, if that same tree and that same wood would have been sold to another company, um, it would not end up sounding the same because, because everybody uh, is responsible for how they, they kill, they, you know, how they season their wood. So you can say that everybody in there from the person who, who put on the fret markers, that in a way their mojo is in there. And, um, but certainly the owner of the guitar. Um, and I'll just end by saying, I coined the, the phrase, the dead man's note, which is the A string at the ninth fret, I believe, is the deadest sounding note on a new guitar. <laughs> but, and I've done this with recordings, that if you play it and you really do reverb, you know, you do the vibrato with it and, and you play it, it improves. And more and more you get resonant frequencies coming out of the body of the guitar. And after a year or two, that note sounds much more resonant than the day you first started playing that guitar. And I think there's also a phenomenon where it seems to be, they seem to be deader in, on long scale dovetail neck joint guitars. I believe when, uh, when they play those notes on uh, makers of bolt on neck guitars, it's a phenomenal thing because it doesn't seem to happen uh, the same way that dead man's note isn't so dead on bold on neck guitars and why that would be, I don't know, but that goes huh. back to the myths of the dovetail neck joint. Um, the fact that old, that old fashioned carpentry that creates a dovetail neck joint is in some ways, I won't say inferior, but it's imperfect. And I think when I talk about those wavering Martin, that, you know, notes that kind of waver in harmonics that waver in and out and go slightly out of tune here and there, is in some people's minds an imperfection, where in my mind, that's why I love Martin so much. And that's why every Martin has its own unique personality, even if two HD28s sound almost identical, they'll never sound truly identical. Mojo, baby. Next question. This one should be quick. Uh, we're hot on the heels of the winter finally being over, I hope. I really hope cold temperatures are behind us for good. This next one is pretty polarizing. You can go anywhere on Facebook or the guitar forums and pick a side and you will have people with you. You must wait 24 hours to open the box in cold temperatures when you buy a guitar online. Myth or truth? I can't wait to say my part. Could I go first? Please go right ahead. This is a truth. I cannot believe how many people are so insistent on proclaiming that you don't have to wait. It's like there's so many people in a hurry to run through the internet and tell you 
that you spent 3,500 bucks of your own money and you're being told by someone else, you shouldn't wait, tear open the box, that whole thing is a myth. And I'm probably coming from the point of view that they think we, when I say we, it's the, it's the dealer, it comes from the manufacturer. I'm speaking about Blue Ridge and Martin guitars specifically, but I'm, I know it happens across other brands. The dealers are taking their advice from the manufacturers who built these guitars in climate controlled environments that are putting finishes on the guitar that are going to react differently when, when a guitar gets really cold really fast and then really warm really quickly the finish reacts at a different speed compared to the, the wood. And I won't get into the science of it right now, but there's a reason the manufacturer tells the dealer to tell the customer, if you're gonna get this guitar shipped, it's going to leave a climate controlled music store where the temperature was about 70 degrees, the humidity was 45%. It's gonna take a trip, even if it's two or three states away, even if it's not that cold when you get it, it might've become cold at some part of that journey. And the safe thing to do is just let it acclimate in the box for a whole 24 hour period before you open it to avoid the risk and the opportunity of something going wrong with the finish. It's a prevention, what do they say? It's an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. This podcast isn't long enough for me to give you guys the floor to explain to me why you should let someone tell you don't bother with that, it's nonsense, just rip open the box. I guess I don't necessarily have a problem with people who don't know if it's important or not, but I have a problem with people that are convinced it can't be a problem and they try to tell people you'd be a fool to wait 24 hours to open that box. That's how I feel about that and I don't mean to upset anybody, but that drives me bananas. How do you feel, Spoon? Well, and I sit here and, and uh, think about the wealth of knowledge and advice you can get from the internet. Um, and the wealth of, of ignorance and and hubris and bad advice you can get on the internet, you know, it's it's you have to uh, you have to remember who it is that's telling you and and what they might know about it. And a dealer would certainly know more. It's entirely possible that guitars that have a polyurethane finish may have far fewer problems uh, in that circumstance than something made with a traditional lacquer. Well, Martins are made with traditional lacquer, whether it's a catalyzed lacquer or in the nitrocellulose lacquer, and those definitely can suffer the, uh, the slings and arrows of weather and humidity changes. Um, finish checking, that's what people call those tiny, tiny, tiny micro cracks on vintage guitars. Those are caused almost always by what we're talking about. And they might, may not necessarily cause problems with your guitar, but, and some people claim that's one of the reasons old guitars sound as good as they do because the finish is now all, has those micro cracks and so the guitar breathes even more to go back to Mari's <laughs> comment about the satin finish allowing the guitar to breathe more. Um, but you can also crack the wood and you can also, the binding can also come loose and the, um, you know, all kinds of things can happen. And, um, you know, wood usually cracks because it was weaker than whatever else was expanding. Uh, people know the old pickguard cracks from the shrinking uh, nitrate pickguards that uh, used to be under the finish and all those little things that uh, you have to be careful about. So why not follow the advice of the person who sold you this expensive guitar 
and just let it acclimate in your home for you know 24 hours um you know that's not a rhetorical question we'd love to hear the people's <laughs> comments on the youtube version of this podcast to try to defend the uh to the to not doing this um but good luck because because uh, be, be forewarned that we've busted the myth that you don't have to uh, worry about your guitar acclimating if it was shipped to you or even driven across country you know last thing you want to do is put your guitars in your trunk of your car uh, you know particularly in cold weather you can uh, same issue will happen the same thing can happen if a guitar it gets really cold in a car over a long journey and then you bring it into a warm house and just let it sit there and warm up you know let it wait till the wait till the case comes up to room temperature before you open it, same sort of thing. Yep, and I wanna be open-minded and mature about it. If I'm wrong, holla at me in the comments. I'll read everyone and I'll reply, I promise. Next question, buying a new guitar in the box is better than buying a floor model. And when I say this, you see that video sometimes on the social media where somebody plays a guitar in a store, and I'm not talking about Maury's music. Somebody plays in a big box store and they play the guitar and they know they like it. Go get me one from the back. I want one that has been unplayed. My argument with that is that's a myth for two reasons. The first reason is if you finally have a guitar in your lap and you love it and you played the one that you know you like, I think that's a luxury some people don't have. And if you have the opportunity, maybe just say, hey, I've bonded with this. This is great. I want to take it home. But even more so, some people sort of have a stigma about the guitar that's in the back room in a box that's never been touched. That one's better. More often than not, and I'm not just saying this as as a dig, and it's it's not. There's no underlying grievance that I have with Martin or Blue Ridge. I'm a Martin dealer, and I'm a Blue Ridge dealer, and most of the instruments we get new in the box, and I'm making my air quotes. We take everything out of the box, inspect it closely, photograph it, and put it back in the box. There are many, many times that the guitars need a little bit of attention whether it's a setup, whether it's a small scratch, a small imperfection, what you want is to buy the guitar that's back in the back room that's been inspected before and not abused. So if you find that, that's the holy grail. But what you don't want is the guitar that Martin put in a box, uh, some dealer received it at the dock, put it in the stock room, nobody knows what's in that box until you buy it. You don't want to be the first one to open that box and inspect it. You want a guitar that's been inspected and not played by a million people. And that's not the same thing as new in the box. It's it's something that goes around the internet pretty often. And that's my take on it. I don't know, Spoon, if that's something you really have a lot of experience with, but I think it's a myth for somebody to want a guitar that nobody's seen. Well, I, well, I think it's, I think your point is totally valid that, um, that first of all, somebody in final inspection played it because they have to string them up and play them and make sure their intonation is all correct and all that. But um, but yes, the you definitely want them inspected by somebody who knows what they're doing, uh, like at Maury's Music, of course. Uh, if you're playing in the, uh, if you're lucky enough to get the, to the Martin factory and get to play guitars that are on the wall in the visitor center or back in the picking parlor where they have the better guitars uh, on the wall, you can buy those. If you love them, you can just say, I'd like to buy this one, my dealer's Mari Wretched Mari's Music, and they'll just call Mari and arrange that sale. And one advantage you get by that is not just the fact that that, um, that you got to buy it at the Martin Factory, 
but that you found a guitar that you fell in love with and it was that actual guitar. Uh, my experience in the 1990s when I would frequent, in the early 2000s, when I'd frequent uh, Mandolin Brothers on Staten Island, which was basically like being in a guitar museum where you could play all these amazing vintage and new <laughs> guitars. But they would, you know, and, and other dealers would be willing to, if you really liked the one on the wall, they would bring you one or two more from, from downstairs. So you could play them. And, um, but the times that I witnessed that, most people kept the one that was on the wall. And I believe that's because, uh, a couple of reasons. One, I believe that spruce tops, uh, particularly Sitka spruce, has to wake up. You know, if it's been sitting for a long time, guitars kind of can sound kind of dead at first, and they really, you really need to get that top moving and get the, get the sound out of it. Now, that's a myth in, into itself, but from my experience, I've, I find that at least, maybe it's a trick your mind and your ears play on you, but I believe that's part of it. But also, that one in the, in the shop that's been on the wall has been played by people. So it's already had some playing in. And, and I think that's, by and large, uh, one of the reasons people like them so much, as opposed to the guitar that is just, you know, it's maybe gone through inspection, but nothing else. And, and it just doesn't have anybody, anybody's mojo in it yet. So if that's what you want, if you want to be only your mojo, then by all means. But if you, uh, but I would say if you find a guitar in a shop that, um, that you like, um, you better have a good reason not to buy it. And um, sure, I've been in guitar stores where things have been cracked and clearly somebody's dropped it. And, you know, that's that's a different matter altogether. But but um, but I also have seen people say, oh, it's got a scratch on it. Uh, yeah, it's like, I don't care. I love how it sounds, you know. And, and we, you know, we've, we've met and we've fallen in love. So it was love at first here. And um, <laughs> so it's now my dear and we're going to stay together. So, so I think maybe it comes down to the, the person and the guitar. But yes, the last thing I would want to do is have Martin ship me something that hasn't gone to my dealer and my dealer hasn't made sure that it didn't need any, a tiny bit of fret work or it didn't need the neck rod adjusted a little bit or, you know, you know things settle um, over that first week. And, uh, and certainly if it's been in a UPS truck or, or something like that, um, then, you know, I would definitely want it inspected um, by the person who sold it to me. Um, so, you know, I don't have, you know, so I can, you know, so I can say, they can say, and I can say that, um, that it got to the shop in good, you know, in good stead and is now in the best condition it needs to be before it gets to me. All right. Next question. Next myth, trust rod adjustment and action height. Myth, you can use the truss rod to adjust your action. I think I know what I'm going to say, but what do you think I'm going to say? Technically, the answer is no. That's not how you adjust action. Um, there's, there are certain things that you can do that... I think people use the word action incorrectly. You can adjust the truss rod to make certain problems go away, but it's not really adjusting the action, which has to do with the height of the string in relation to the frets and the saddle and the nut. Speaking of nuts, what is Mari's rutch answer? <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll tell you. Here's the thing. When you adjust the truss rod, 
And when I say that, you use a truss rod wrench. If you loosen the truss rod wrench, you're removing some tension and allowing the strings to have more relief. And we'll define relief by, if you would hold the G string down, for example, one finger at the first fret, use your other hand to hold it down at the 14th fret. The amount of relief that is in the neck, if you use that string as a straight edge, is variable. So what you want to do is you want to have just enough relief. You don't want it to be dead flat, but you want just enough relief for your playing style. This is sort of a Goldilocks thing. Some people like it a little bit hotter. Some people like it colder. There's more than one correct answer depending on playing style, but there's a window of tolerance. You don't want way too much and you don't want none. So you use the truss rod tool, the truss rod wrench, to add or subtract the amount of that relief. When you do that, a side effect, listen, the side effect of that is it's going to change the action of the guitar. So the strings are going to raise and lower a little bit depending on if you're going to loosen or tighten the truss rod. So that leads some people to say, I want my action to be a little bit taller. I'm going to use the truss rod. And it's kind of like fixing the front wheels on your car and taking the bolts off the back wheels to do it. So now you've got the front wheels are nice and tight. Your back <laughs> wheels fell off. You're not, you didn't fix anything. You kind of went around and about, and I'm not poking fun at anybody. Unless you ask and you, you know, investigate the problem and figure out what to do, you can't know this unless somebody tells you so. It's not a matter of ignorance. But those people that just go to the truss rod to achieve the action they want, even those people that know it's not the right way to do it, what you need to realize is you're basically robbing from Peter to pay Paul. You're, you solved the action height as a Band-Aid, but you've actually given yourself, well, let me say this way, you've actually changed the relief in the neck. So if you needed to do both, that's the only caveat here. If you needed to change the truss rod with the truss rod wrench to arrive at the correct relief and the side effect is action you like, that's not what I'm talking about. That's actually correct. But don't use the truss rod wrench to manipulate the relief in the neck just to arrive at an action height you like because if you end up with the action height you like and you've disrupted the correct amount of neck relief, you're going in a circle. So that's that's not a really long thing to talk about, but it's it's a myth. I wanted to bust it. Let me know in the comments if you'd like to take a truss rod wrench and throw it right at my face. I, I don't mean to upset anybody, but that's where I stand on that subject. And I feel like I've been taught from some really, really knowledgeable people on the subject. And uh, that's, that's the truss rod myth busted in quick time. So let me ask you this. How do you change the action for somebody when you're really going in to raise the action or lower the action? The correct way to do it is at the saddle. So if you need a higher action, you really do need to take that saddle out at least put a quality shim under it, which I don't recommend, but it, it works. The best thing to do is actually, you know, carve a slightly taller saddle. If you need the action lowered, take your saddle out and lower it at the bottom of the saddle, sand the bottom of the saddle against a really, really clean piece of sandpaper on a, on a dead flat surface, and then put your saddle back in. So you want to take height, height away from, or add height to the saddle to change your action. You heard it here first and last folks. <laughs> next that was an easy one the next one's probably tied back to what you talked about a few moments ago myth you must play the guitar before you buy it in person if you find any 10 martins two are going to be great two are going to be dogs and the rest are just going to be average myth or truth <laughs> <laughs> i 
I think uh, modern guitars are are more consistent now, guitar to guitar, within a given model than they've ever been ever. I would never be more. I would never felt more secure about ordering a guitar online than I do now when it comes to Martin guitars in the standard series, 16 series, the Nazareth made instruments. Um, I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. Sure. I, people, people like the idea. People love the, the, the fairy tale romance idea of what we just talked about earlier, going into a shop and playing a guitar and falling in love with it and walking out with that guitar. Um, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do that, first of all, without driving miles and miles and miles and miles and miles in some cases to get a chance to play Martin guitars. And they have many options online. Uh, Mari's Music or whoever their favorite dealer is, uh, is you know there and available. And I don't really, I don't know anybody uh, personally that ordered a Martin guitar from a dealer from you know one of the main models, or or one of the limited editions, and and got a lemon from ordering it online. I just don't. I just have never met anybody who's been able to say that was the case. Yeah, and I should probably be more deliberate about my my busting this myth. There might be somebody who did play ten Martins in a store and found that to be true. But to go back and perpetuate the legend of let's put this online so people share it and share it, and I think sometimes we can be guilty of seeing something online so many times and two or three people said it. So this, this it's gotta be true. You might find some people do feel like that. And then if you get the right 10 people to say, I feel like that too. Well, now did all, all of those people actually do this test? And if you find a group of people that literally go and try to find 10 HD 28s in one store and ensure that the strings are all alive, that the setup is okay, that some of those guitars weren't used. You find 10 brand new HD28s and you know that there's no variable in as far as how how much life is left in the strings and find out that you know six are stinkers, only two are very good, and there are two that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. I just think it's too easy to keep recycling some of the things some people see. And in, until I find out someone's done a test where they can back it up, I don't believe in that at all, except for isolated cases. I might be able to play three triple 018s after this program. And I'll tell you what those three triple 018s feel like to me in my first impressions. Then I'd put them away and come back to them tomorrow. I'd be wrong to tell people online later this week that you got to watch out for triple 018s because any three you play, one of them is way better than the other two. Well, in my <laughs> opinion, these three, that one time, you just be careful of what you see out there. I do think that's a myth that could be busted Maybe I'll say there's some truth to it in some cases, but it wouldn't be every time for sure. Well, yes, and I, there's certainly hyperbole in saying ten, as if, as if anybody, ha, you know, goes someplace that has ten HD 28s, even in the you know glory days in the late century, you know, late 20th century, when when uh, you could go into shops that would have lots of Martins, they never had ten standing on the wall of the same model. But that just goes to the exaggeration of this whole idea because it's right up there with the people who think they were the first person to ever think that I bet these computer virus protection companies are actually making all the viruses to keep them in business. <laughs> you know, and it's just a, it's just a, a very shallow uh, logic and a cynicism that invades um, the internet really. And, but I, you know, I would say this, let's just say that that existed 10 HD 28s in the same shop. 
and one person went in and made that decision. If 10 people went into that shop, all of them would have picked a, a different best guitar. And all of them would have picked the guitar that, that was, you know, they dismissed right away. And they would have been different guitars because there's different people with different ears, um, probably on different days. And like you already brought up the, the difference in the strings and all that. I, you know, they, and nowadays they are so similar that it might come down more to looks, that somebody likes the looks of the sides on this one more than that one. Um, but when it comes down to looks, I always tell people to buy guitars with their ears in their hands, not their eyes. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm 100% with you that if somebody wants to only buy a guitar that they get to play in a shop, that more power to them, that, that they should go on the internet and basically demand that everybody else do that. And you're an idiot if you don't do that. Says much more about them than it does the guitars or the people that are, uh, they're talking to. All right, Spoon, the next myth. When the music starts, the podcast is almost over. True or false? That would be true. Alas, we've come to the end, or should I say the middle. We have so much more to talk about here. I think it would be a myth if I would tell you we're not going to come back with part two of this episode. Stay tuned and be sure to follow us. We'll be back at you next Monday with part two of Myths and Truths. And a lot of that stuff on the list comes from Spoon's point of view. I can't wait to hear what Spoon thinks is a myth when it comes to acoustic guitars. Well, also, I'd like to encourage listeners, uh, anybody listening to this, if you're on the YouTube um, version of this, if you want to put in the comments other Martin myths you'd like to, us to explore, or perhaps send uh, an email uh, to Mari's Music. And what is that address, Mari? Support at marismusic.com with your uh, Martin myth that you would like explored. Very good, and I'll take this opportunity to ask you guys, if you've enjoyed this program, we'd love it if you would share this podcast with just one person. Keep the ball rolling, get the word out there, and any support you could give us, we genuinely appreciate it. From all of us at Maury's Music, thanks for listening. Bust your myths later. This has been a presentation of Maury's Music your trusted source for Martin and Blue Ridge guitars. Find us online at maurysmusic.com. <laughs>